Good morning, church. So good to see you in here this morning, enjoying this hot, humid August weather. It is August, right? And uh, here we are, uh, kind of the back to school month. And what I'd like to do this morning is just acknowledge that we have students all over the place here. I know we missed some of our college students last week who are already gone, but we just want to pray over our students, faculty, teachers, staff, uh, because it's a big month. I mean, we're back to school. But before we do that, though, uh, let me just say one more word about prayer. In uh, the month of September, we're going to begin something called First Wednesdays, uh, first Wednesday of every month. We're going to get together. We're going to have a meal together in the uh, fellowship hall. That's a good thing, isn't it? Get a meal together, sit around some tables, good food, uh, fried chicken. That's one of our favorites. Anyway, we're going to have some uh, food together. And I'll tell you what, there's nothing better than sitting around the table with someone, especially if you don't know them. It's a great place just to get to know people and create some friendships. So we're going to do that from 5.30 to 6.30, and then at 6.30, we're going to move in here to the sanctuary and just come into a time of prayer together. And the reason we're doing that is because over the past several months, I realized that there's so many people here that would just like prayer over a particular area of their lives, whether it's depression, whether it's anxiety, whether it's addictions or whatever. And, uh, you know, we do some of that Sunday morning, sometimes at the altar, but there's never enough time to do that on Sunday morning. So we're going to do that on Wednesday evenings. We're going to start with once a month, if it you know, goes to every week, that's okay as well. But uh, all that is to say, that's coming, and there'll be something in the newsletter this week about that as well. One more thing. Last Sunday, we had some global guests here in this place. Right on this stage, we had a gentleman from Bangladesh. We had a gentleman here from India and two from Argentina. Global guests, it was so good to have them in the house here. Listen, they are all leaders in their ministries in these particular places, and they were just here. They just came to visit with us at Grand Point. Uh, we've supported them in the past. They didn't really come with any expectations, but we kind of just threw it open last week spontaneously and almost in a sense to do a love offering. And uh, you gave over $12,000 uh, for those missionaries. Unbelievable. You have no idea what that meant to them. In fact, $1,000 in India or Bangladesh or even Argentina is like a million bucks. And uh, one of them even said to us this week when I told them what the amount was, they're like, they almost had a heart attack. Like, you almost killed them with your love, right? <laughs> so, you know, it's kind, it's kind of neat. And I had three people this week, you know, just on hearing this story, they're like, we love Grand Point. We love our church. And I do too. And I love you. I thank you so much for your generosity in that as well. Hey, by the way, by the way, I don't know if you've heard this or not, but this November, uh, we are doing a fly fishing trip to Patagonia, Patagonia, Argentina. If anyone's interested in a fly fishing trip, uh, it's coming up in November. See me after the church here. It's a group of guys from Grand Point, from Franklin County uh, heading out. So if you're a diehard fly fisherman, Patagonia is like the ultimate, right? So uh, we'd love to include you in that. We have one of members of our church going there. They'll be professional guides and everything. So all that is to say, that's coming up uh, for Argentina. But what I'd like to do now is just pray for you, uh, for our students and stay. Oh, excuse me, and staff as we uh, uh, get ready for this month of going back to school. So how many of you are students, whether elementary, middle school, high school, college, or postgraduate students? Anybody here? We've got students all over the place here. How about faculty, those who serve 
Uh, yes, faculty, teachers, staff, a lot in this room today. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray together. Uh, you know, school, about a decade ago, I think even that late, school was kind of like a safe place to go, right? And, and now it's like, wow, I don't know. You know, we got to pray over protection for students, not only physical protection, but even mental protection, like what they're learning, what they're being taught, and all that kind of stuff. And listen, we value those of you who are in education, teaching our children, uh, teaching our students at whatever level, whether it's public school, private school, charter school, home school, wherever it is, education is so vital to them. And we just appreciate those of you who are believers, right? Just taking your influence and your lives into the classrooms and into the lives of these students. So, hey, how about if we just stand together, stand together. And uh, man, I don't know, if, you know, if you see a student around you or someone raised their hand as, as a, you know, faculty member whatever, man, just, just pray over them and uh, let's together. I'll pray over our students. God, I thank you so much for the privilege of education. Man, we live in such a blessed country, a blessed state and community in which educational opportunities are everywhere. And uh, we just thank you today for educators and those who are a part of the school systems. As I said, whether it's private school, public school, or homeschool, wherever it is. And God, at this moment now, we just unite our hearts and minds to pray over our students, elementary, middle, high school students, college students, postgraduate. Father, we're just so grateful again for the privilege that they have, but protect them in Jesus' name from the enemy that's out there to take their minds and to take their hearts and their lives in a direction opposite of your perfect plan for them. God, we pray for those from our church who are working in the school systems and just ask, Lord, that they would be able to build relationships and make connection with students where students would know that they're loved to know that they have someone who cares about them. So we commit them to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, listen, let me uh, just uh, orient some of you to our summer message series that we're having here at Grand Point. Uh, we're attempting to answer some questions that are certainly on your hearts and your minds. So back in May, right, we asked you if you have any questions that you would like us to answer, and you gave us a whole bunch of them, and we're attempting to answer those questions. And I want to be very clear. Uh, as we attempt to answer your questions, I want to be very clear to you. I don't pretend to have all the answers. Uh, this is not because at Grand Point we believe that we have the only answer to life and your situations, but we trust and follow someone who does. And so what we're attempting to do is not give you our opinions personally or even collective opinions as a church, but we want to give you a glimpse into God's word and what God's word says about uh, some of these questions uh, that, you're, that you're asking. And I appreciate for those of you who, who gave them as well. And uh, because for me, it just allows us to have some very vital uh, conversations, you know, about these questions and about these answers. Uh, some of the questions that you ask are very complicated. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Some of them are hard to figure out. Some are emotional and some are very contested, especially if they're politically, emotional, or relationally charged. And I can only imagine that a number of us have already come into this room today knowing the topic that we're talking about, and you already have a perception. You already have an answer. You've already got something settled in your mind about this. 
what, how does the church, how should the church respond to the LGBT uh, lifestyle or the LGBT community? You know, some of you have personalities where you're wired up to be black and white, right? It's right or wrong. It's this or that. No in between, right? So when it comes to this idea of, of sexuality, there's no discussion, Right? Why even talk about this? It's either this or, or it's that. And there are others that come into a room like this and you're like, no, 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 no. Right? Every single one of us ought to have the freedom or perhaps even ought to be encouraged to pursue our own desires, you know, whatever that is. And so we're all within the same room attempting to have this uh, conversation, which makes this a message that's not very easy to give. In fact, this message is only easy if you don't know anyone who is gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender. This message is only easy if you've never had a grown son or daughter, uh, you know, come to your home, uh, come to your home for the weekend, like come home from college or whatever, and you're sitting around the kitchen table and they say two words that have changed your life forever. Mom or dad, I'm gay. This is only easy if you've never had, uh, you know, sexual, uh, if you've never wrestled with same-sex attraction or, you know, and you're wondering, like, what are people going to think about me if they find out or if I come out or if I admit this? And so you're kind of living that, that secret life. This is only easy for you if you've never have had a loved one, someone that you really cared about that did not attempt, that, or maybe that attempted to take their life uh, because of the shame that's associated uh, with this. Therefore, as a church, I promise you we will never give careless or flippant responses to questions like this or any other potentially divisive uh, questions in the church. Uh, because uh, there, there's a place, obviously, to state what we believe, uh, to state our perspective and our understanding of this, and I, I certainly plan to do so. But I want to make sure that I give this message to you today from a full measure of love and grace and love and truth. You know, sometimes we say this whole idea of grace and truth or love and truth needs to be balanced, right? We need to balance between love and truth, like 50% here and 50% there. But I think it's more than that. When Jesus uh, characterized his life by grace and truth, it was full on grace and full on truth, 100% both ways. And uh, that's what we want to do and kind of bringing this message uh, to you this morning. The other thing is, you know, as a... Uh, I don't, I don't ever want truth here at Grand Point to be used or perceived as a weapon that devalues or dehumanizes anyone. In other words, we're not going to stand up here with a Bible and just kind of nail you with it. This is it. And if you don't believe, you know, that, that kind of thing. I, I believe there's a place perhaps where we take that stand, but we do it in a, in a way that demonstrates and shows our, our love for each other. And, and neither do I want to reduce this kind of to just a place like where we stand. Here's, here's where we stand on these issues. And if you believe, uh, you either believe with us or you don't, you know, kind of thing. Because that could lead to us standing with the Pharisees rather than sitting down with people like, like Jesus did. And I don't know about you, but I would rather sit where Jesus sat than stand where the Pharisees stood. Because Jesus had some very harsh words to say about the Pharisees who brought quick judgments on people without actually working through you know, their lives uh, with them. Now, today's question, uh, how should we respond to the LGBT community? Perhaps it's not a question that I would normally 
uh, pick to preach on for obvious reasons. It's part of the reason why many of you have not taken a breath for the last five minutes, right? Because you're kind of wondering, where, where's he going to go with this? And can I even come back to this church again? You know, they're they going to kick me out today or whatever. And, and so that's, that's part of the reason. But another reason why I may not choose to speak on this is because, not because I'm afraid of it. Uh, we've taught on things like this before. Uh, you know, a grand point, we're not afraid to hit the hard things or talk about the issues, but, but I'll tell you, you know, I know that in doing this message, I'm not going to come out of it with everyone agreeing with me. You know, we always like to have people agree with us, right? And give a nod, say, yeah, yeah, wait, way to go. And I understand that not all of you are going to agree, uh, kind of where we end up here. So some of my blood is on the line with this. So those may be a few reasons why I would hesitate to do it, but I really believe there are some reasons why I want to do this as well. Number one, you asked for it, <laughs> right? So it was the most asked question uh, in all, I think I had four requests uh, to speak about this, and the way that you answered the question was kind of significant. You, an- you asked the question by saying things like, how do I work with my children? How do I work with my grandchildren who have chosen to change their gender identity or, you know, come out because this is just a hard thing for you. How do we work family reunions? How do we come together and, you know, do we still treat them the same? Do we not? Do we go to their weddings, same-sex weddings and all of that? So I know it's impacting you in a great way. This is not something that's distant. This is not happening in another country. This is not happening to other people. This is, this is all happening to us. So it's a very, very important question. In fact, I think it's so important that we cannot not talk about it, right? So we're going to talk about it. The other reason why I want to talk about this today is because as a church, I believe we need to model the tone and tenor on how to have conversations like this. In a spirit of teachability and humility, Right, Because you're not going to find that anywhere else. You're not going to find that on social media. You're not going to find that you know, in other places. It's like Dan said last week when he started talking about dinosaurs. You know, And he set this up really well. He said, sometimes we tend to draw this line in the sand. And you're either for us or you're against us. Right? And then what we tend to do is we throw these emotional hand grades across that line at each other, and that usually causes more division, right? And more, more hurt rather than, than healing. Now, that's not to say that we should not, you know, take a position. It doesn't mean that we should not have convictions. It does not mean that we should not be passionate about this, but our convictions simply need to be expressed in a way that removes that line in the sand and actually cause to deepen our love uh, for each other. So that's the main idea. Uh, that I want to share with you this morning. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate our online audience tuning in today. It's so good to have you out there. And I uh, just want you to sit back and kind of listen and process uh, this together. Uh, I want to address this this morning from uh, two, two primary perspectives. It's kind of like Scott said last uh, two weeks ago when he addressed our youth uh, with this. He said, look, I can speak about four weeks on this. I've got 20 minutes to do it. And uh, I'm in the same dilemma this morning. So there's a lot of things that I would like to say and I'm simply not able to say. But I want to address this from two basic issues or from two basic uh, perspectives this morning. The first one is if you are same-sex attracted or if you identify with the LGBT uh, community, I am so glad that you're here. It takes a lot of courage to come and sit where you are sitting, knowing that we're talking about this, especially in a church 
which sometimes, and I apologize for this, has a tendency to condemn people or push you away. You know, I know that downtown in Chambersburg tonight, there's a, there's a support group, Thrive, that's meeting. That would be a much easier place for you to go because their people are going to connect with you. They're going to affirm you and all that. It'd be a much easier place to go. But I'm so glad that you're here. And I'll be the first to admit to you today that uh, I, I don't have all the answers on this. So it's very likely, in fact, the odds are high that I may say something that you don't like, maybe something that you don't agree with or, or even understand. And uh, if I say something wrong, just know that I'm still learning, but I invite you also to be a learner as we have this conversation uh, together. So that's one perspective. Speaking to those who are same-sex attracted, speaking to those of you, whether you're online or whether you're in this room, so glad that you're here. Thank you for, for coming in. The other perspective that I would like to address is this. If you're a Christ follower and you're just like wrestling with this, because you have a family member, right? You have a, a child, you have a, a sibling, you have a friend, you have a coworker, you know, who's going through a, a gender change or maybe he's coming out and you're like, gosh, how do I, how do I hold on to the truth, right? That I understand from the Bible or that I've always been told. How do I hold on to the truth about this and still love them? Right? Because I don't feel like I'm being very good at either, right? So you're, you're kind of wrestling with with all of that. So I want to bring this message to you this morning from those two perspectives. And uh, I'm hoping that this message will help uh, all of us uh, with this issue. As I said before, there are a whole lot of ways that I could go with this, but I primarily want to approach this by answering the question uh, that those of you who asked the question uh, gave. How do I respond to my kids? How do I work with my children who have chosen a gay, lesbian, bisexual, or even transgender lifestyle? How do I work with them? How do we, how do we work family reunions and all that? Uh, what do we say to them? Do I still accept them? Do I still love them? And all, all of that. So I want to work through this and hopefully we can all learn together this morning. Is that fair? So here's the big idea. The umbrella that I want to work under is this. I believe that God wants us to sit with people and love them with the truth. And the reason I start with that is this. Because delivering the truth in any form is the greatest act of love that you could ever show. It is never loving to lie to someone. It is never loving to deceive someone. It is never loving to take the truth and just kind of keep it quiet and speak, you know, sweep it under the rugs, not address it. The greatest act of love that you can do to someone is speak the truth to them. And that's what we're going to do this morning. No one, and we believe that everyone here at Grand Point is worthy of being loved. So we're going to speak the truth to you. No one should ever have to ask to be loved. We love you because you are a person created in the image and the likeness of God. And God brought you here to be part of our family. Again, whatever desire, whatever orientation you have, God brought you here. Uh, we're going to learn together and grow, grow together in this. So the reason we're going to do this is, is because we believe everyone deserves to be loved. And I believe the cross of Christ proves this. Right, John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved, who? The world. 
that he gave his one and only son that whoever, whoever, whatever orientation you are should believe in him uh, and have, have everlasting life. See, God's love on that cross demonstrates that uh, his love for you is real regardless of who you're attracted to. So if speaking the truth is the most loving thing that we can do, then that's what we're going to do. That's going to be my approach this morning to speak the truth in love. And now you're saying, okay, well, that's fine. That's fine. But whose truth are you going to speak from? Am I going to speak from my truth or am I going to speak from your truth? Because you know the worldview, the culture that we live in says truth is relative. There is no absolute uh, truth. In fact, one of the complexities with this is illustrated so well by uh, Dr. Jim Dennison uh, in this book that I'm currently reading called The Coming Tsunami. And he says, to summarize this very complex subject, philosopher Immanuel Kant taught us that our minds interpret our senses resulting in knowledge or, or truth. However, since your sensory experiences are different from mine and your mind interprets senses in ways that are unique to you, he says there can be no such thing as objective truth. All truth claims by definition must be subjective and personal. Right, So that philosophy is kind of what's at the forefront today, and uh, relative truth is, is kind of where we're at. So you say, okay, I'm all about the truth, but whose truth are you going to speak from? Well, I want you to know here at Grand Point Church, one of our driving core values is that we value God's truth more than our opinions. Truth is never or very rarely found in public opinion. So you can have all kinds of public opinion. You can have an opinion. I can have an opinion about this. And for the most part, that's not where truth lies. So we say here at Grand Point Church, and we make no apologies at all for saying that the Bible is objective truth. And this is the truth that we're going to lean into. It's what we're going to learn from because we believe that God has his best interest uh, in mind for us. In fact, you just need to know that relative truth is not working. It is not working. You don't have to be a PhD student, man. You don't have to be a philosopher. You don't have to be a sociologist to know that the growing chaos in our society expressed in a lack of personal peace and contentment, relational breakdown, racial strife, and political enmity are all tied in various ways to the rejection of truth as revealed in Jesus. It's not working. Relative truth is not working. And that's why Jesus himself said in John chapter 8, verse 31, if you abide where? In my word. Then you will truly be my disciples and you will know what? You're going to know the truth. You're going to know the truth. Getting into God's word, listening to God speak to you, you're going to know the truth and that truth will set you free. Someone once said, with God, all things are possible. Without God, all things are permissible. And it's the latter part of that quote that we're just kind of driving into right now. And we're pushing hard to live in that latter statement where all things are permissible, but it has devastating results all around us. So here's the deal. If we're going to sit with people and love them with the truth. I guess you're, you, we kind of ask the question, so what truths are we going to give to that, right? What are we going to lean into? What, what are we going to speak to that? And so, like I said, there's a lot of ways I could go with this, but there's a few truths that I want to just give that I believe are, are kind of universal and should work for all of us, especially as we deal with this idea of sexuality. So number one, the number one truth that I just want to put out there today that comes from the scripture is simply this. We all live in a world that is created and designed by God. All of us. 
I mean, that's the opening chapter of the best-selling book of all time. God created this world and he had this beautiful design for humanity that he created for us uh, to live in. The reason this book, the Bible, is the best-selling book of all time is because all of us, no exceptions, are a part of this creative design. So everything within us, by design, longs to live out this design. In fact, the reason that we make a lot of decisions, and sometimes even big decisions, marital decisions, on the, ba- on the basis of pursuit of our happiness, is because we're designed for the ultimate happiness. We're designed to experience that. The reason that we seek relationships to meet our needs is because we've been designed to have a relationship with God who is the ultimate provider for every one of our needs. The reason that we desire beauty and valuable possessions and mountain retreats and tropical you know, vacations and things like that is because we've been designed for paradise. We've been designed to enjoy all of those things that God created for us. God's beautiful design for humanity is actually seen clearly in the Garden of Eden, where God looked at everything that he created, everything that he had designed, and it was very good. It was very good. It was exactly what God intended for humanity to live in and and enjoy. And God's life, God's very life just flowed through that first man and that first woman, enabling them to live out his purpose for their lives, enabling them to have uh, love for each other, enabling them to have purpose and caring for the world that God created for them and just designed for them to care for. Man, they had a great relationship with God. They had great relationships with each other. They had purpose and caring for the world. They brought glory to God. That's what was broken. That's what was broken and that's what needs to be restored. I don't know if you remember in the first, one of the first messages that I gave in this series, we talked about the word of God and we talked about Genesis and Revelation being the bookends, right, of a great story. And everything between Genesis chapter three and Revelation chapter 21 is God's work of restoring what was broken. That's the story. And we're gonna talk about that. I tell you, we're gonna talk about Revelation here in the fall. Man, you know, after going through this summer, I never thought Revelation would look easy. <laughs> but I can't wait till we get there. Now, you know, Revelation, Revelation is kind of one of those books that's hard to understand, but I'm kind of looking forward to getting there because Revelation ends with God restoring this brokenness back into a paradise again, which, man, I can't, can't wait to, to live in. But that's what is broken. It's going to be restored through the gospel. See, that very moment in Genesis when Adam and Eve pushed aside God's design and enabled them to go their own way, something about the way God made them broke. Did you hear that? Something about the way God made them broke. And the life of God stopped flowing through them. So in the Bible, different places, we read about the spiritual death that occurred. They were now spiritually dead. And there were immediate results of that brokenness, right? Adam and Eve began to blame each other for what went wrong. You go to the very next chapter, their kids, Cain and Abel, one of them killed the other one out of jealousy. And years ago, I had this little book called Children's Letters to God. And it was kind of a cute little thing. Kids wrote these letters to God. And one of them said, "Uh, dear God, perhaps 
Cain and Abel would not have killed each other so much if they would have had their own rooms. <laughs> works, works for me and my brother. <laughs> but see, something broke down when, when God's design was pushed back. Now there's enmity, now there's strife. Never what God intended for them. The very moment that everything broke down and began to unravel was the moment when mankind pushed back God's design. See, there's a lot of scriptures that speak about this, about this, but the one that I want to just kind of share with you this morning is from Romans. In Romans chapter one, it says this, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, through Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. See, we have this idea perhaps that, no, I wasn't born a sinner. I was born good. Right, It's only this world or my environment or my home life or that person that I hung out with that made me bad. No, the reality is, and what we need to understand is that you were born into this world in sin. You were born with a sinful nature. And so, you know, none of us can escape this, which is why, you know, Paul says in Romans 3, 23, all have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And if you don't understand this, none of what we're talking about today is going to make sense. In fact, most of the Bible is not going to make sense to you because you're going to believe that you're just better perhaps than we are. Right now, there's a lot of hope that comes with this as well, because that seems rather hopeless. But he goes on and says, listen, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. So it wasn't like we were all born in this perfect place and then ate this apple, right, illegally or whatever. And no, we all have sinned because we've inherited that nature. But I want you to know that the beauty of God's design is still visible. It's just that it's been damaged at every level. And we live, we now live out of that brokenness. I mean, it's no wonder we offend God over and over and over again, right? Because we're, we're sinners and we, we're, we don't live in this place of, of, of holiness. So we, we damage, you know, and, and in the process of offending God, we even damage our own lives. We damage our own relationships and this world that we live in. So truth number one that I just want to leave with you is that we all live, all of us live in a world that's been created and designed by God. Now, there's a lot of other things that I would love to say before I jump into this next point, because it seems so abrupt. But here's uh, for the sake of time, we're just going to jump right into this. And I want to talk to you a little bit more about God's design. God designed and created the world that we live in. We're good with that, right? Number two is this. God designed sexual intimacy to take place between a man and a woman within the promise of a committed marriage. And any other activity, now listen to this, straight or otherwise, is outside of God's best intention and plan for our lives. This may not be what LGBT people want to hear, but believe me, it's not what many straight people want to hear either. See, many people, Christians included, are willing to give their souls to God, but they want them to stay out of their bedrooms, stay out of our minds, right? Stay out of our thought life, stay out of our sexual expressions. We want God, right, to be, want Jesus to be our savior, you know, we want to go to heaven and all that, but, but we don't want him. We don't want to surrender our sexuality to him. And none of us, regardless of our sexual orientation, are off the hook on this one. You know, in fact, Jesus would even take this a step further, right? And he says, okay, I know you've heard, do not commit adultery, right? But 
I want you to know that even if you lust in your mind, right, if you have sexual fantasies, if you have lust in your mind, you've already committed heart-level adultery, right? So no one's really off the hook on this one. Maybe you're at a place, though, and you're thinking where you're like, okay, this one man, this one woman thing within the context of a, of a committed marriage, my goodness, that is way too narrow, way too primitive, way too out of date. Come on, get with the times because we're living in a different time right now. Everyone lives together before marriage. Pornographic and entertainment is, is just commonplace, right? Uh, homosexual, bisexual, transgenderism, it's where we're going. These are the societal norms right now. It's kind of ironic that this message follows a message on dinosaurs uh, because there are many people who believe that the LGBT lifestyle is a sign of the times. And if you don't agree with that, you're old, right? You're extinct like the dinosaurs are. Like, get with the times. In fact, I actually had someone tell me it's time that we get with the times and start relying on this book that is so out of date. I don't know if you knew this or not, but the LGBT agenda is as old as the dinosaur. It's as old as Genesis 18 and 19. It's as old as Rome. It's as old as Corinth. There is nothing at all progressive about the LGBT lifestyle. And in fact, if anything, it's degressing. It's going back to the way things were back in history that never worked. And it's going back to Genesis 18. It's going back to the New Testament text of Romans and 1 Corinthians. In fact, in the very first book of Romans, Paul is writing this letter to a group of church people like us. And he's saying to them, listen, you know God's design for humanity, right? And you know how it has been replaced by your desires. I just want you to know, every time you do that, there are consequences for that. And so he says in Romans chapter one, verse 24, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the what? The truth. There it is. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, he says, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relationships for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relationships with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving themselves the due penalty for their error. I know the interpretations of this. I know how people have taken this verse and other scriptures and kind of made it work for homosexuality. This is talking about desires. Right? So if these desires were wrong, then that's why this was wrong. But if the desires are there, obviously, then it's right. I know all kinds of interpretations about this. But listen, I, my point is this. All the way back in Rome and Corinth, I mean, this is a long time ago. They were experiencing everything that our culture is experiencing today. There was, uh, there was gay, there was lesbian, there was transgenderism. In fact, when you read the history, it's actually even worse than it is today. And we've made some revolutions, we've made some progress, but all of this, all of what I'm saying right now is it looks like it's something new and it looks like it's something progressive because of its heightened emphasis and may I say political association with it. But everything, everything touted in this arena of progressive sexuality has been tried before, culturally and politically. There's nothing new under the sun. 
In fact, I'm even sensing perhaps in this next generation that's coming, what is new, what is cutting edge is holiness. It's holiness. It's living righteously. It's daring to stand up and stand out and say, listen, I'm going to align my life with the word of God. And listen, I am going to live this out. Listen, the Bible, the word of God is what is setting people free. This is what is healing brokenness. This is where people are finding strength to overcome temptations. This is where people are discovering God's purpose and plan for their lives. This is where people are finding out what works. This is What's progressive? What is out is sin. What's old is sin. Sin was all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, and perhaps that's where everything kind of got distorted. Now, what I'm about to say is about as political as I will ever get from this platform uh, today. But And forgive me if I'm going too far with this. But the extreme political party that is pushing this agenda and others is not concerned about God's best intention and plan for your lives. In fact, they are using you simply to push a political agenda. But, but, but here's what's equally and almost even more disturbing. And that is how Christians, church people, have characterized the LGBT community and excluded them from the church. I've read a lot of research in, in uh, preparing for this, and uh, one of the research, pretty reliable research engines said this, 51% of LGBT people or sexually same-sex attracted uh, people leave the church at age 18. 51% will leave the church, but only 3% leave because the church has taken a position that it's wrong. You know why they leave? They leave because the church has not accepted them. The church has actually pushed them out. In fact, some even said they did not feel safe at the church. And you know, people will always gravitate toward where they're loved. And if they can't find it in the church, they will go elsewhere to find it. And way too many times, the world has outloved the church. And that needs to change because God is the author of love. Yes, at Grand Point Church, my personal position is I believe that homosexuality is a sin. It is a sin. But we're all sinners. Every single one of us are sinners in need of the exact same grace available in and through Jesus Christ. And I would even go so far to say that most likely there's probably more heterosexual sin that needs to be confessed than homosexual. The greatest sin that you ought to be concerned about is your own sin, my own sin. That's what we need to be concerned about. So our position is this. Our mission as believers is to live and to speak and to serve in such a way that we embody and we reflect the beauty of Jesus that reveals his grace and his truth by pointing people to Jesus. We're all in this together, right? We're all sinners just seeking to grow in Christ and have our lives align with him. It doesn't matter what sin it is. We're all in this together. I want to leave us uh, with one more point uh, before we wrap this up here this morning with perhaps a, a little challenge. And that is this. The third truth that I want to give to you this morning is this. And it has to do with your identity. See, your identity is found in Jesus. It's not in what you do, not in what you own not in what you desire. I get a little concerned when people make their sexual desires their identity. 
Kind of in the same way that I would be concerned if you made your, your trade or your, you know, uh, career or your money or whatever, you know, your, your, your value or your identity as well. Uh, now, without that being said, there's a whole lot that I can understand about the LGBT identity because for many, it's where they found a place, where they're loved, where they're accepted, and they're valued. And if you're in that group, if you're in that uh, you know, uh, group of people, I'm not saying that you should turn your back on them, but what I am saying is, is I would lovingly urge all of us in this place to reframe our identity around something that's more and more durable, perhaps, and more eternal. So I wear several labels. I'm a son. I'm a husband. I'm a dad. I'm a friend. I'm a pastor. I'm a mediocre cyclist. One day I may be a pickleballer. I don't know. I haven't tried that yet. But see, I have all these identities, all these ways that I could identify myself, these labels that I put on myself. But these labels are simply lenses through which I, I look to describe the way that I experience life. It's not that I'm any one of those things in and of themselves. In fact, I would even say the moment that I begin to base my identity or my worth on being any one of those labels, I'm setting myself up for disappointment or a lot of pain because those things can be taken away or those things can kind of get messed up along the way. So what I need to do is take each one of those labels and make them subordinate to my primary identity. And that is, I am a new creation. I am a child of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 says it this way, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you know what that means? That means at some point you've come to realize that your sinful nature is a problem, right? You're a sinner and there's nothing that you alone can do about that. You can't change that. Nothing that you can do. It doesn't matter what you do, how hard you work. You can't change that. You need the gift that God gave through his son, Jesus Christ, to forgive you, cleanse you from your sins, and you receive him as your savior. That's what it means to be in Christ. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And right here is where some of you are going to get hung up, and I understand this. Some of you, and I know, you have a same-sex attraction, and you don't want it. In fact, you've prayed and asked God to take it away from you. Give me a heterosexual attraction, right? Others of you, perhaps it's with alcohol or drugs or other addictions. You don't want to be that way. Maybe it's even in this area of unforgiveness. Man, this unforgiveness thing is just it's tearing me up. I don't like it. I want to forgive. And you've actually asked God to help you in this area, this area, and this area. And it's like the old is still there, right? It's not going away. I don't know. It's kind of like sometimes, you know, we do it on ourselves. It's kind of like that lame movie, uh, Weekend at Bernie's. Remember that? You know, we kind of pick up the corpse and just want to drag it along with us because we don't, we don't want to let go of it. We kind of like this old identity. We don't want to let go of our, let's say, let's say our sexual fantasy life. I mean, we kind of enjoy that. It's secret, right? Nobody knows about it. I can still kind of fantasize about it. We don't want to let go of that. Or maybe it's the pornographic thing that we've got going. It's secret. You know, nobody needs to buy it. It's not hurting anybody. Or we're in these other kind of relationships. We want to change, but we just can't or we don't want to. So what's this deal about the old gone, right, and the new kind of coming in? Well, I understand this. Listen, and this is where a surrender 
A surrender action needs to happen where we're surrendering these desires and this, what seems to be this inability to change. Man, I can't, I can't change. I still got this old nature. Just know that old nature is always going to be with you, but the new nature enables you to overcome it. When you surrender, when you give this repeatedly to Christ, I had someone come to me after the service last night and they're at a place right now where they're coming out of sexual, or not sexual, they're coming out of drug addictions, right? And so they're like, man, I, I, I kind of wish this, this old and new interchange would happen just like overnight, right? And for some people, maybe you can kick a habit or you can stop smoking overnight or whatever, whatever but for the most part, it's an ongoing transformational process. Right over and over again, but just know in the midst of this, with this new creation, this new thing that God has put within you, it is possible to overcome that. I want to wrap this up with another scripture from 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. This one hits kind of hard because it actually lists the description of those people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Do not be deceived. Let me stop right there for a moment. I think you know this, but there is one out there whose main goal is to deceive you. Satan is a deceiver. It's what he is. It's who he is. It's what he does best. He's a master at deception. It's always been his gig, right? So he's out there to deceive us, to, to, to exchange the truth for a lie. And the Bible makes it very clear that as the time comes to a close, as the end comes near, the deception will increase. That's perhaps why we're seeing more and more of this, these agendas coming at us. I mean, it seems like it's coming at us more. It's as old as Genesis, but it's coming at us because the deception is becoming more active. But as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, which under Jesus' definition is all of us, nor idolaters, which again, could be all of us because our hearts are like these little idol factories, right? We develop all these things that become important to us and we seek this and pursue that and they become these idol factories. So it's kind of including all of us here. But he says, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters nor adulterers nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the slanders, nor swindlers. None of these people will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's what some of you, operative word here, that is what some of you were, were. I don't know about you, but I can see myself on this list a couple different places. You know what that says? That says that I don't, be, I don't deserve to be included in the kingdom of heaven. I don't deserve God's grace. I don't deserve to sit on this stage. I don't deserve to be your pastor. But, look at this. 1 Corinthians 6, 11. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. Not because of your behavior. Not because you were the one that kind of got things right after a while, but because of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Listen, when you open up and you invite Jesus Christ to come into your life, listen, he changes you, right? He makes you worthy now to be part of the kingdom of God. He makes you worthy to be a grace recipient. He makes you worthy to tell other people about God's saving grace. You gotta love what Jesus Christ did. 
Got to love the plan that he had for us, for those of us who were, were born sinners, right? And then he says in verse 19, don't you realize your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? This is good. This is good. You do not belong to yourself. I don't belong to myself for God bought you with a high price. So honor God with your body. Listen, can I just ask you today, and that's everyone in this place, not just those of you who maybe have a sexual orientation other than heterosexuality, but everyone in this place. Can I just ask all of you today, every person listening in this room, every person listening online, would you be willing to give your life? Would you be willing to give your soul? Would you be willing to give your identity to the one who has your best interest in mind? Would you be willing to trust him for that? God created this world. God created and designed this world just the way that he wants it. It makes it very clear that God designed humanity to be male and female, created in his image. It's a beautiful plan for humanity. But see, again, remember, we live in the brokenness of this world. This is not God's plan. But listen, it's not just, it's not just the LGBT lifestyle. It's, it's those of us who are heterosexual who struggle with our own sins, our own sexual sins as well. Would you be willing to surrender that to the one who has your best interest in mind? There are parts of the Bible that I know some of you don't like. There are some things that God says that you would just rather he have not said to you because you kind of like the way you are right now, you kind of like living out your own way. You kind of like doing it your way, even though God says it differently. I'm just asking, would you be willing to make that surrender? Whatever, whatever that is that you're struggling with, to, and, and trust the one who has your best interest uh, in mind. Let me just pray for you. Let's pray together. God, right now, I would ask that you would do a work in our hearts and our minds today. Perhaps a work that would allow us to trust you more and more with our lives. God, I pray that we would extend an attitude to others that says, man, this is a safe place to ask questions. This church, this place is a safe place to come just as you are because we're all seeking that same grace that only Jesus can offer. And I know many of us perhaps even have more questions than what I answered this morning, but I pray that your spirit would meet us right here in the midst of all those questions as we seek to know you more. Help us to sit with you on this rather than stand in such a way that creates division. God, I pray that our lives would magnify you, exalt you, and give you glory just like that first couple did created in the paradise. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And the church says, amen. Amen. amen.